Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 26. If you'll have those uh, open this morning, uh, be grateful as we look at a text today that's very familiar to us, and yet I believe for the most part misunderstood in its importance in all of the scriptures. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, we're glad you're with us uh, this rainy early morning. Uh, my name is Mark. I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here, and uh, we're glad you're with us as we're journeying uh, through this series called The Gospel. Uh, it's a journey of discovery is what we've kind of coined the phrase here as we open ourselves up to what the Bible teaches about Jesus. In week one, we're at that stage now in week four, where we can review some of it. Uh, by the end of this, it would take us the entire morning to review, so we'll only do this for a season Uh, But in week one, Michael introduced us to the four authors of the gospel stories about Jesus, the records of his life. And what I want you to take from that is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that God ever promised. You might remember that Michael said, if you take Luke's premise of Jesus and it's not true, what's at risk? If you take John's premise and Matthew and Mark's premise... And you take away what they say about Jesus. If that's not true, what's at risk? It's a powerful question he posed. In week two, we talked about the genealogies. And what I want you to take from that is Jesus came from broken people like you and me to make us unbroken. And we learned that by studying where he came from. Excuse me. Last week, Matt did a fantastic job introducing us to John the Baptizer's family. And what he wanted us to know is that God is involved in every one of our stories. Even in those moments, it may seem like he's not. He will eventually prove through Jesus that he is rewriting all of our stories for a much better ending. Now, uh, because I'm 51 years old, and so because of that, a lot of the influences in my life happened in the 70s. And so my formative years in elementary school and middle school and junior high, uh, I started high school in 1979, so... uh, Here's what the influence on me was, and this group will understand it for the most part. Third hour with our college kids will stare, so I'm glad I'm with you today. Do you remember when the miniseries was a big thing on television? I remember being a kid when Roots came on, and my parents let me stay up past my bedtime. And I remember that it ran for, my memory may not be actual, I didn't look this up, but it seemed like for two straight weeks... Every night at 8 o'clock for two hours would be the next installment of Roots. And then there was a series called Rich Man, Poor Man. And then when I was in high school, there was this mini-series called The Thornbirds uh, that I really enjoyed. Made me read the book, in fact. Well, anyway, one of these things that I bring up about the mini-series growing up in the 70s was we didn't have VCRs and DVRs. If you missed that night episode, you never thought you'd ever see it again. Do you remember those days? Do you remember changing your plans because there was something on TV? Now it's funny. I don't watch any show in its normal time frame. We just wait till Saturday nights and catch up. We live in the age of convenience. Well, why would I bring that up? I hope the importance of what we're talking about in this journey of discovery called the gospel will be important enough for you to make sure you're here when it plays. That you don't say, well, I'll catch up with it later. Because here's what I know about my nature, and I assume my nature is yours. 
I have a great intentions of writing a note of encouragement, of listening to a podcast, of catching up on what was said. And do I do it? Absolutely not. Why? Because life's busy and life's hectic. If I don't make time for it when it happens, most of the time it'll never happen for me. Can I have an amen? amen. So I'm encouraging you during this journey of discovery, this teaching through the gospel, that you make every effort you can to prioritize being together with your Christian family to study who this Jesus is. Let's read Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. In the sixth month, and this is relating back to Elizabeth's pregnancy that Matt talked about last week. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. There's a few things as you dissect this, and I've had the privilege that you offer me the privilege of studying this to present the teaching, and I noticed just a few things from my research. The messenger speaks three times, and Mary responds three times. We're going to look at those responses this morning, because the response that Mary has is no greater than the response you and I are given the opportunity to have. So what does this message mean? The angel came to tell Mary that the Most High would become the Most Low. This is the Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled. The Most High King of all, the creator of all things, would become the lowest human being, live among us, and die on our behalf. Now, the incarnation is one of those things that if I believe, and this is just my premise, if you talk to most Christians, they would believe that the incarnation was nice, but not necessarily important. It's like the ascension back to heaven. It's a nice moment, but it doesn't affect my everyday life. And I'd like to change our perspective on each of those over this series of teachings. The incarnation is important, and I would like to give you three reasons why it is. And this is the way I've been taught them, and I think that they're significant and memorable. The first thing about the incarnation that reveals its importance to our everyday life is God is greater than we could imagine. Now, we know that. Theoretically, but do we know it instinctively? Do we know it in the everyday interactions that God is greater than we can imagine? Now, the reason people struggle with God becoming man, becoming flesh and dwelling among us, is it seems to diminish God in their minds. They say he's too great to become so low. He's too powerful to become so weak. He's too God to become like you and me. And so people question it. And the problem with our questioning is, we assume because it doesn't make sense to us, it can't make sense at all. And that's a faulty premise. 
Now, let's go really spiritually deep. Are you ready for this illustration? You can become a puppy like your puppy. You can get on the ground on all fours with your pet, and you can talk to your pet, and you can roll around with your pet, and you can play with your pet, and you can roll a ball with your pet, and you can become like your pet. Your puppy can never become like you. So, because your puppy can never become like you, do you ignore your puppy? Do you treat it as if it's worthless, inconsequential? Just let it live its own life separate. Not if you're human. So we love pets. We love little people. We take a baby. We put a baby on the ground. You never tell a baby to sit up at a a tall chair with you at the table and have a discussion. No, you get down on all fours with a baby on the ground. You roll around in its blanket. You play with it. You blow bubbles. You have a good time. Do you understand what I'm saying? You may say that God could never lower himself to become like one of us, and I'm here to tell you his greatness was displayed that he did. Because we could never achieve status with him. He lowered himself to the least common denominator so that we would understand him by his interaction with us. The incarnation is more important because it shows us that God is greater than we ever imagined. He's not lessened in his power. His power is made more known by his willingness to become weak as man to relate to us. The second thing about the incarnation that relates to what God is going to do with Mary here is that the incarnation shows us that we are more sinful than we understood. And this is not a a happy thought, that we are more sinful than we understood. And so where do I get that from? Well, let's put it this way. All gifts carry a message. Recently, my wife bought me some new pants. It was a A couple months ago, she bought me some new pants, and I saw the size of the pants, and I thought, oh, silly girl, she forgot that I'm not that size anymore. Then I realized she hadn't forgotten. And one time she bought me a shirt, just like my favorite shirt that I've worn for over 20 years, and I thought, silly girl, she forgot that I have a shirt just like that. Then I realized, oh, she didn't forget. You see, she's sending me a message. Sometimes gifts send you a message, don't they? Now, what if on Christmas morning, I opened a present under the tree, and it was from the elders of our church, and it was the book entitled, How to Find a New Career in Your 50s. (laughs) Or from the church staff here, I got a present from them, a book entitled, How to Find a Friend. Or if I opened a present from my sons, Alex and Braden, and it was a year's supply of Rogaine. (laughs) Do you think gifts sometimes carry messages? that we're special, we're unique, we're blessed. So how should I interpret this gift? How did Mary interpret this gift? How did the early church interpret this gift? We think by being 2,000 years removed from this foundation of our faith that it means something different or it means something less to us. And I'm here to tell you, you have to interpret the gift. And when God sent his son as savior, this is what the gift intends. You and I need help. We didn't need a ruler. We needed a savior. So the gift, when we open it, says to us that we are more sinful than we understood. So we're to learn this from God. Do you know what the gift of God means? That he became a dependent, weak human being. He displayed his greatness by becoming lower. That God emptied himself. You see, the incarnation is more significant than we give it credit for, for this simple reason. Jesus could not take on the punishment of our sins symbolically. 
He had to take it physically. The reason God had to lower himself to come to earth, that Jesus Christ came in human form, was so that he could receive the wrath of God in the punishment of God in the body of mankind. So never let anybody say the incarnation is a sentimental moment that poetically sets us up for Jesus. It does not do that. It means that God was willing to come to be punished in physical form. He lowered his greatness to the lowest form of mankind because our sin was so great, it was the only way you and I could escape. Our sin was more powerful and more significant than I understood. Nothing less than the presence and the sacrifice of the Son of God could save us. Have you ever opened a present you didn't need? Did somebody ever guess wrong? And they gave you something and your first thought was, or am I the only, maybe I'm, I should not assume you're like me in this, so forgive me in advance. But you ever open a present and say, <laughs> I'll never use that. You smile and you go, oh, thank you. It was thoughtful. It was a bad thought, but it was thoughtful. Because you just look and you go, oh, how quick can I return this? Not because I don't love them, because I'm the kind of person, I don't know if you are, but I don't want it in the house if we're never going to use it. We have too many things already in the house we never use. But sometimes someone will buy me something and it's like, oh, you know me. And other times they'll give me a gift and I'm like, you love me, but you don't know me. When we opened the present of Jesus, the world said, oh, you don't really know me until we got to know God. And then all of a sudden we thought, oh, that was perfect. You say, I opened the present of Jesus when I was a kid, but I never really used it. I just stuck it in a closet and I let it get dusty. Then all of a sudden I became a man and I realized I'm a mess and there's no way of fixing me and left to my own devices, it's only going to get worse. And all of a sudden I remember God gave me something once and it was a savior and it was exactly what I needed and it has more value now than it's ever had. Does anybody else amen that? That as we grow, we realize God knew exactly what we needed. You see, in verses 30 through 33, if you look at them there, the messenger says his name will be Jesus, which means Savior. It's revealing that God rescues us through this gift. When I ask you what you get for Christmas this year, I hope one of the things you'll smile and you'll say, God's son. Oh, I got some new jeans and, and I got some tools or I got some stuff for the house I really wanted or got a chance to be with my kids and enjoy a wonderful holiday. But at the end of it, the best gift I got was God's son again and again and again. The gift reveals that we were sinful, we needed rescuing, and that's what he brought us. So he's greater than we thought and we are more sinful than we understood. And the third thing the incarnation teaches us is that God is more loving than we thought. Dorothy Sayers, writing about the incarnation, said some amazing things. I'd like to quote her. She said, For whatever reason, God chose to subject himself to sorrows and death for a people that deserved it. He had the honesty and courage to take his own medicine. He had himself gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money, to the worst horror of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty, he never escaped it, and he died in disgrace. And this is my favorite line. She says, he suffered infinite pain for you and me, and he thought it was well worth his while. And that moves me. It reminds me of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 11, where it says, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. 
I love that. He thought it well worth his while to go through every bit of that for a people that were ignoring him and cheering on his betrayers. And so what did he get at Christmas time? What did he get for his infinite pain? And the answer is you and me. What I'd like to do this morning is not only look at what the incarnation means, but I'd also like us to ponder if he's greater than we thought and if we're more sinful than we, ima- sinful than we imagine and if we realize that he's more loving than we ever thought, I want us to see how Mary responded to this great gift of the incarnation because Mary has a significant role in a very interesting way. So how does she respond to it? I've said this before in previous years and, and uh, I'll say it again just to be a little provocative and to awaken your minds. I will postulate to you this morning that I think Mary may be the first Christian. Now, you can debate about when that all took place, and here's what I mean. A Christian is someone who realizes that life with God is where we're supposed to be rather than life without him. And Mary has the first opportunity I can find in all of Scripture to receive Jesus. And so I just speculate that her example may be good for all of us. So let's begin. For the first time in history, somebody finally understood what God was going to do with what he promised to do. She realized that this child would be the center of everything promised. And she would be the one to reveal this child to the world, to raise this child and care for this child and present this child. She didn't have to climb a mountain. God didn't require her to change her behaviors overnight. She never lived to the applause of men. In fact, she lost the applause of men in the transaction. She simply heard the gospel, received it, and obeyed it through every obstacle. Reminds me of when Jesus would tell us, if you're going to follow me, you have to take up your cross and die. So let's look at what Mary did with the opportunity to receive the incarnation fully. First of all, she considered And these are very simple steps, but it's a challenge for every one of us. She considered, look at verse 29. The angel says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Troubled. It's an interesting word. Why would it bother her? Well, angels are scary because angels come from God. And when you read in the Old Testament... Whenever an angel appeared before a human being, the human being didn't high-five them and hug them and call them buddy. They fell down in fear and thought, I'm dead. The presence of the angelic being before Mary troubled her. And she began to think, what is going on? Why me? Is this a dream? And the reason I want to show you that Mary considered this is because living in an age, once again, I, I... Part of the reason I talked to you about growing up in the 70s was the church was very emotional. There would be these long invitations at the end of a service. And we, you know, I don't know how many of you, when I was a kid, there were sometimes I wanted to go forward again just so the invitation would end. I was like, enough. We've sang that song four times. No one's moving, but they kept going. And there was nothing wrong with that. I think it was a good intention. But I want you to understand that there's a place in Christianity for those who ponder and those who feel. And Mary was one who had to consider. When the angel said, you're highly favored among God, it made her think, why? What have I done? Who am I? And she listened and she pondered and she questioned. Mary doesn't turn off her mind in order to experience God. The second thing she did is she questioned. This makes us uncomfortable as believers. 
And we, we don't want to make Mary that human. We've turned Mary into this saint who was emotionless. She was a little robot. She wasn't. She was a girl. She was a poor girl. And she, she knew that to do what he was asking her to do would cost her every bit of comfort she had in life. But she questioned. Her response is, but I'm a virgin. She says to God, okay, I could have a baby, but I've never been with a man. How am I pregnant? And that question is reasonable. It's a reasonable reservation. Rather than dismiss the chance of a lifetime, she asks God her heart's probing question. And I want to challenge every single one of us to not float through the Advent season into Christmas with the attitude, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I know how it all works out. Instead, ponder, question, reason. Spend some time in the word of God. Place yourself in this story and say, if I'm Mary, what would I have done? You see, and then the angel says, is anything impossible for God? And if Mary had been raised in the word of God from the Old Testament story, she would have remembered this same question was asked of Sarah, who at 90 years of age was told she would be pregnant. And her response was, my body is worn out. And the messenger said, is anything impossible for God? And Sarah chose to believe. So I ask you today, when God asks you to do something that's difficult, something that costs you something, when God presents his vision for your life and it impresses your heart and soul, is it wrong to question? It's not wrong to question God if you're willing to receive this question in return. Is anything impossible for God to do? So you can question God if you'll answer his question also. Is anything impossible for God? She still had all sorts of questions. She, she said, I, there's no man to give me a seed. There's no way I can become pregnant. And the angel says, no, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's why he'll be known as the Son of God. It's interesting because not only does she question and not only does she consider, but lastly, she submitted she responds in one of the most beautiful, eloquent statements in all of Scripture. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you've said. I don't know how long this conversation took. I'm assuming by reading it and putting myself in that moment, I'm just falsely assuming that this was a four or five minute interaction. And I realize Mary has a lot more faith than I do because I've had some of these conversations with God for years now. How about you? But she heard him, she trusted him, she reasoned, she questioned, and then she submitted. And she will pay a price to submit. There are several prices. She'll be disgraced. She's going to become pregnant while engaged. She would be ostracized from her family and friends. She could very easily be dragged out into the city center and killed. This is not just a small possibility, it's a probability. I'll suggest to you that when Joseph takes Mary to the numbering of the census in Bethlehem, the reason he's doing that is because he couldn't leave her alone in town. He may come home and she could be dead. She also didn't know what Joseph would respond to, did she? She was willing to trust the Lord, but she had no idea if Joseph would buy in. 
But it didn't matter at that moment. She knew who God was. She saw the presence and felt the presence of God, and she had an opportunity to submit. She would lose everything. When you follow Jesus and you allow God to enter into your reality again, it will cost you your false gods and your securities. It will cost you the place that you cherish more than his presence. It will cost each one of us to say, I'm going to give up something great to receive something greater. The joy that would come from her obedience would not come without the pain of her submission. I want to say that again. The joy that will come from her obedience will not come before the pain of her submission. Because that woman knelt at the foot of the cross and watched her son die. Because she said she would. And it wasn't until all of that pain of submission was gone before the joy of her obedience. So she goes to see her cousin Elizabeth. And why does she do that? Because she's not going to explain it to Joseph. She needs to get away. And because the angel had mentioned that Elizabeth was pregnant too in her old age. And when Elizabeth sees Mary knock at her door, this is what Elizabeth says. How is it that the mother of my Lord should come to visit me? For when I came to the door, the child in my womb leapt for joy. Oh, blessed is she who believes what the Lord has said will be done to her. Isn't that a good line? Elizabeth wasn't there, did you notice, when the angel was? But when she opens the door, she says, The baby God promised me leapt in my womb. Blessed is the woman who told God yes. And he knew exactly, or she knew exactly what had taken place. See, Mary was saying, I give up the right to determine my life. I give up the right to ask for certain conditions. I give myself to you unconditionally. And is it going to cost me something? It most certainly is. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And when, when the Gabriel appears to Mary, he says, you know, depending on your king, if you have King James Bible open in front of you right now, you read these words, Hail Mary, full of grace. And we know how this is used in today's culture in a, in a powerful way. But what he says is, favored one of God. The reason Mary was graced was not because she was special. It's because she was willing she allowed God to show grace to her. Christianity is not about what God can do for me. It is about what God will do with me. And I want you to think about that this Christmas season. Christianity has never been about what God will do for me as just the only thing. It's about what God will do with me, making our lives useful. A preacher told a parable of something that happened in his home. He had this little wind-up alarm clock that would make the tiniest of beeps. But that alarm clock would wake him up every morning, but it would not disturb his wife, who slept a little longer than he did. So this was a very useful, uh, had a lot of utility, this little, it kept peace in the home, and it got him up for work. And he loved his little alarm clock, and he remembered the last time he saw it. He went to bed one night, and he couldn't find it. And he remembered the last time he saw it, he had taken it into the family room to take a little nap, and he decided to set an alarm, and he set this little alarm, but he couldn't find it again. So that night, he didn't have it, and it bothered him. And for two or three days, he went through the bedroom, and he retraced his steps, and he couldn't find the alarm clock at all. And then one day, they were sitting there, and he and his wife were reading. It was an early evening. They just had dinner, and the kids were outside, and he heard the beep. 
And he said to his wife, did you hear that? And she said, what? And he knew that that was still his alarm clock. But he heard the beep and he began to pursue the beep. And it took him into his two-year-old's bedroom and buried in the bottom of a tub of Legos was his little alarm clock. And he pulled it out with it beeping and he walked into the family room and he sat down next to his wife on the couch and he put the alarm clock down. She said, you found it. And he said, no, it found me. And then he said he realized in that moment, never in a million years would he he have looked in the Legos to find his alarm clock. And those Legos would probably have been thrown away in years to come when his children became too old to play with them. And he would have missed that thing he cherished. And then being a preacher, he draws a great conclusion. Never in a million years would we have found God if he hadn't found us. So he sent this child to this girl, this poor teenage girl, because we needed him to. The incarnation is not just a poetic moment. It is one of the greatest pieces of theology you and I will ever realize because it tells us who God is, it tells me who I am, and it reveals who Jesus is. And praise God for Mary. Praise God for a girl who was scared to death but chose life anyway. You see, the story that we talk about today from this passage of scripture is for every single one of us. Will you consider receiving Jesus? Will you bring your questions to God and hear his response? Is anything too great for me? And then will you submit to who he is, receive him at all costs to receive the joy of your obedience? We would love to have a conversation with those of you who have never made yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ. Today would be a great day to receive the greatest gift mankind's ever had. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.